filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster spent much of Saturday in the auto dealership service center lounge. I want to call it a lounge. It's not so much a waiting room because there are many magazines and comfortable chairs and outlets and a TV and free coffee and vending machines you have to pay for. But it's it's very comfortable place um, to sit down and, and spend a few hours while your car is getting worked on. And I ended up having to leave without my car because a major part of it has to be replaced. Uh, so they, they gave me a loaner did, did the auto dealer, which is a sneaky good ploy for marketing because you have all these creature comforts that my car that's 10 years older than the loaner doesn't have. Now see, Adam, I, I have been in your car. Uh, you've been nice enough to drive me a, a couple places a couple times. And uh, I I did not know your car was 10 years old. Uh, I would not have placed it even close to that. Yeah, it's, I a, thought it it's was, a note nine. I thought it was much newer, um, <laughs> perhaps because I'm used to driving a fossil that happens to start up and, and run somehow. Um and so I don't under, I guess I can't tell the difference between any car made within the last like 15 years. Yeah. They're all kind right, of the same. So, <laughs> my car is in fact, I'm pretty sure they they've refreshed the the chassis, the body design twice mm-hmm. since <laughs> since my car was okay. was released so, into the wild. So not only is it like I'm just wrong in terms of age, but I'm also like I've had opportunities to see different versions of the same car uh, and understand that time has passed. And I've missed those opportunities as well. Yes, you have granted. I I mean, also I think the last time I gave you a ride was at, was from RFK. um, Yes, that's true. Would have been well over a year ago. Yes. Was this the um, more time passing? Was this after the um, Zoltan Stieber, Paul Ariola, Russell Knauss, uh Bruno Miranda deal? Uh it it might have been. That was when we met the nice the, I met the nice guys from the Hungarian embassy who were lost in yes. lot eight. <laughs> Could have been trapped there forever uh, if you had not yeah. told them where Which, to go. They weren't quite in lot eight. They were they were in they were crossing from lot four into lot eight trying to get out and I'm like, no, this is not the way you want to go. <laughs> you were going deeper and, right now. And uh, yeah, and by the time they'd gotten out to you, um we had been done for like 20 minutes. Yeah. So I assume that like 15 minutes of that time was them driving aimlessly around other lots. They were in a really good mood. Like they were very happy, friendly guys. They couldn't have been happier. They were allowed to ask questions uh, at that press conference, even though they were guys from the Hungarian embassy. Um, It was very confusing. Uh, They were very well dressed. They were very nice to everyone, but they were definitely just super excited to be there. And then they, at one point, put their hand up to ask a question and did it. And I was like, are those guys all from the embassy? Or is it just like two dudes from the embassy and a journalist? And I was informed that, in fact, they were all from the embassy. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's fine. The, they didn't ask. It wasn't the worst question asked in a press conference that year. Um, so it, good good on them for, for showing up and uh, getting it right, despite being completely out of place. Do you want to share what the worst question asked at a press conference that year was? Uh, okay. I'm kind of speaking just, uh, I'm just taking a guess cause I don't remember the specific worst question. Um, okay. but, uh, it was definitely, this was like a normal fine question. It wasn't like a good question, but it was, it was fine. You're, you're all right. If you were, um, those guys, I think it was like, um, what do you know about uh, this region before coming here? Something like that. Uh, that had already been, it had already been kind of answered, but you know, they were excited. Um, I they can't wanted, they wanted him to see them. 
yeah, they wanted to have a chat with their buddy uh, is, is basically what it boiled down to. Because the thing is, I mean, they had already talked to him. Stevie's um, a celebrity in Hungary. Like he's yeah, they were genuinely. Yeah, like like they were at it was an open training session. So they'd been out there with um, a national team scarf for Hungary, as well as a Hungarian flag. Um, and they were standing in the front row like it would have been impossible to, to miss them. He took photos with them and everything. But then. Somewhere between that point and press conference time, they just sort of wandered in. I don't know if they were trying to sneak in or if they were just having a good time and looked into press conference. But, uh, yeah, they did it. Uh, I personally don't have a problem with it. I feel like maybe uh, other people might. I thought it was kind of funny. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and old cars and Hungarian embassy fanboy podcast. We are very niche. We are also all both. I should say from black and red united.com. Ben is on assignment getting sunburned somewhere. Uh, Jason Anderson, Adam Taylor. We're both from black and red united.com. As I said, and tonight we are talking about DC United. They had a win and a loss in the last week. We're going to talk about both of those games and we're going to preview their upcoming visit to the great state of Illinois uh, to to finish off a three-game road swing. Before we get any further, though, if you're a regular listener, you know what's coming next. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so I'm going back to something that I was doing a lot of earlier this year. I made myself a Paloma. Um, so I've got my splash of fresh grapefruit juice, my tequila, my ice, and my um, uh, Q brand uh, grapefruit soda. And it's pretty good. I was going to make it with my spicy tequila, um, but then I kind of forgot to do that and grab the regular bottle instead. And then the drink was made, so I can't fix it now. It's a tough life. You ain't kidding. <laughs> uh, I have DC Brow's Joint Resolution Hazy IPA. It is a very on-trend kind of drink, but it's also tasty. So I, with that. I think I've said that I understand why hazy IPAs are a thing right now. And it's because they, they they're kind of delicious and, and DC brow has a good example of the style. It's juicy and good. And I like it. Um, and they also lean into the kind of turn into the slide by putting a kind of a psychedelic pattern in the background of their image. So I approve. Uh, turning now to soccer dc united played two very different types of games last week easing past fc cincinnati four to one for road win before falling to nothing uh, on the road to atlanta united a uh, couple of late goals at mercedes-benz stadium in that one to decide it uh Jason, I want to start with the the approach to these games. It was two very different approaches, despite using the same formation, at least numerically, uh, across the the two games. It's just different personnel in key spots and just very different tactical, even psychological approaches to these two games. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to say that um, United put a lot of their eggs in the um, beat Cincinnati basket. Um, I think as we talked about this last week, I think it was the way I would have gone for the simple fact that DC needed to get a win period. Um, They needed to have something break this long spell with one win. And I think it was one win in nine games before that one. Um, So yeah, um, being, being, you know, showing or or throwing out your full team, um, the best available group other than Hamid, um, was I mean the the Hamid the situation? I assume is uh, resolved. I mean he played very well against Atlanta. He doesn't seem to be uh, upset via social media. So I guess the whole thing is like yeah you know this is it was a one game thing and it's over now. Um, Sites did pretty well. Um, not that he had yeah. a lot to do, but he handled what he had to do well. Um, but yeah, United came out against a team that has been very defensive and took control of the game. It took a little while. Um, Cincinnati had a lot of the ball without really doing anything with it, that, which was, it's not as a bad idea if you're struggling to be defensive, but keep keep the ball and uh, 
let it sort of wear the other team down by letting them sort of chase. I think whenever DC has played this three, four, three or whatever we're going to call it, um, they've been not really willing to high press very much. And I think Cincinnati knew that and um, kind of took advantage during the early stages of the game and just sort of let some of the grains of sand tick out. Um, but then Cincinnati did something they've been doing all year, which is just having an abysmal moment defensively as a group. Um, and TD Rodriguez took advantage, scored the goal uh, off of a throw in, which is a reminder of some bad old times for DC when they were that team giving up goals off of a throw in like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think from that moment onward, it was kind of, you know, Cincinnati did equalize, but the penalty was not a good call. Um, it really wasn't. And, and it, if anything, like, I feel like DC would have gone on to win the game anyway. Um, but the fact that the penalty was such a bad call and it angered them so much, I think is, is maybe why we're talking about four, one and not two, one. Um, but yeah, it, it, I liked what I saw. Uh, for the most part, I wish it had been a little more, you know, high tempo, a little more willing to press and, and get after Cincinnati because I think they would have been, they would have been beatable that way too. This was a kind of game where DC didn't need 42 minutes to get on the board. in my opinion, um, it, that's a little frustrating, but once they got there, um, they, you know, pursued the win with, uh, some real aggression and the quality was there in the final third. And, uh, yeah, it, I, I don't think Cincinnati can complain too much about the scoreline because um, they look like a team that would lose 4-1. Yeah, I, I do want to shout out, we we mentioned T.T. Rodriguez, two goals and an assist. Uh, Wayne Rooney, you know, just some guy off the street, had uh, a goal and an assist. And Leonardo Hara had a fantastic assist, yeah. uh, making a, a stand-up tackle, just stripping the ball off an attacker, frankly, and then dodging him pushing the ball past another defender and using what little speed Leo Hara has. He's not, he's not a fast guy in soccer terms. He would destroy the both of us in a foot race, but as far as MLS speed, he's not one of the faster guys out there, but he, he uses what he has very well when he has the ball, I would say, and kind of okie dokes, a guy pushes the ball into space and just trots around him and hits this beautiful curling ball that, that just goes straight to Wayne Rooney on one bounce and uh, Rooney does the rest, embarrassing a couple of center backs along the way. Um, and, and he, he played that pass on turf. So he had to, he had to uh, deal with the fact that that bounce, that one bounce was going to be a turf bounce and yeah. the turf at Nippert stadium sucks. It's bad. Um, and yet, um, and Hara let's, you know, looking at Hara's career, there aren't a lot of uh, turf fields in uh, Argentina. So he's not even like, he doesn't have a pass to call on with it. It's just, um, he's that good uh, at hitting a pass. That's all it, it boils down to is that um, th- that dude can pass the ball. So my, my big takeaway from, from the Cincy game was this was a, a pretty good performance. I thought, um, especially the response to the, bogus penalty call that that equalized the game uh good emotional response they they you know tt scored within two minutes i think it was to to give united the lead again um but a, a decent performance against a not very good team uh, the worst team in the east i think it's it's fair to say by any metric you want to yeah. use and, and you know if you're if you're a team that is supposed to be good you should be beating them four one um, even on the road, you should be able to, to put some goals past them, pass them and win comfortably. And that's what happened. So that's, it's, it's a positive because we'd been, it's been, a, it had been a while since DC United had behaved like a good team. They'd behaved like an adequate team or maybe for a few minutes or for maybe a half behaved like a good team. But, um, this was like, yeah, a good team does this. This is a, a good team's uh, showing on the road at Cincinnati midweek. You go out and you you beat them. Yeah, the response to the adversity was was good for me. Um, that that was that was nice to see. Uh, seeing the the team score goals without Lucho on the field was also nice mm-hmm. to see. Um, TT Rodriguez coming inside as the game went on. It took him forty minutes to figure out where he 
could pop up during the buildup and be able to contribute to that phase and then get forward. And a minute and a half later, DC United scores off a throw in. So mm-hmm. I, I was, uh, I, I feel vindicated in, in my belief that United needs a, a high usage playmaker uh, besides Wayne Rooney mm-hmm. out there and, and TT getting more involved leading directly to a goal that was that was pretty cool for me for my confidence and i know that that's important to all to you jason and to all our listeners that i feel good Which, so it'll improve your form going forward it will and hopefully tt's as well but more <laughs> importantly my own uh completely different approach in atlanta same formation same three four three uh numerical layout on on the field no wayne rooney though because he you talk about high usage in a different way. He just no days off for that guy, except for this one in Atlanta. Uh, he, he got kicked the just to pieces uh, in Cincinnati on that and, awful turf. And the last play of the game for him um, mm-hmm. with, with a sub ready to come in for him was it looked like a knee to like the upper thigh, um, which he was extremely unhappy about because I think he knew that that was a, um, we're going to lose the game, but I'm still going to give you some bruises, uh, foul. Um, and we had that, we had the moment where Rooney is already on a card, um, at that point and is very close to getting a second as he has his moment of descent with, um, Toledo. And then he comes off and we actually had a moment where Ben Olson is, uh, in between Rooney and the fourth official, uh, trying to shepherd, uh, Rooney to the bench. So we have Ben Olson peacemaker on the sideline, which, you don't get to see that often. Um, yeah. So that was fun. Yeah, I think it was Pablo who who tweeted uh, during the Atlanta game that, or Pablo Maurer from The Athletic, um, who, who tweeted that Ben Olsen works the fourth official like very few other coaches in MLS. Um, so seeing him kind of turn and take on that mediator role is is always fun. Um. But we saw Lucho Acosta play in the the number nine role against Atlanta, playing it, of course, as a false nine because five foot three Luciano Acosta is not going to battle center backs for aerial balls the way Wayne Rooney does. Nor is he going to run in behind. Like the, yeah. the the two things that would you know him staying up high that he would have to do um, are things that are not his game. So you know you play him there, but obviously it changes the approach and you know. I think Lucho did very well with it. Um, it's not his fault that DC couldn't score this game. Yeah, that's that's what I <laughs> wanted to to get to is Lucho set up at least a couple of breakaways, had one of his own, um, had a really good shot that that Brad Guzan did very well to save. Um, he Brad Guzan had a better day than he did at Audi Field to, yes. to start the year, which was unfortunate. True. Yeah, uh, he he made a stop with his trailing leg. It was, it was not far from being a goal for Paul Ariola. Um, and Ariola had another breakaway that where he just had to put the ball in the right place for TT to run in onto. And he put it too far in front and Rodriguez wasn't able to, to get there to, or he got to the ball, but not in a way that was dangerous. And the, the attack fizzled. Interesting day for, for everyone. Um, of course, PT Rodriguez comes on and gets his redemption arc going against DC United, which I don't love. Unless, well, of course, some trades happen and he somehow ends up I in mean, DC. Then redemption, sure. If, but, if this is if this were an Atlanta podcast, I would be telling everyone to chill out about that because <laughs> the reason he scored his goal wasn't anything that he did that was great. He just made an extraordinarily simple back post run and then. Darlington Nagby did some magic. I mean, he didn't even do some magic. He just ran onto a through ball, kept it in and and clipped it towards the back post. But the real problem is that um, Donovan Pines follows a run for too long. He and Briant don't communicate that um, one of the, that Briant should be taking Martinez so that Pines can stay in that zone. If that communication happens and whether that's on Pines or Briant, I'll, you know, I think both of them are capable of speaking those words. Um, and making that switch, especially seeing the flight of the ball and knowing that Martinez isn't the danger anymore. It's the back yeah. post that's the danger. Um, it's a very simple moment defensively that should have been handled. And if if Pines is in that spot, there is 0% chance yeah. that Martinez scores a goal. The game finishes 0-0. We're talking about um, a pretty good um, 
a pretty well-worked tactical uh, game plan that the team really did pretty well at outside of their final shot or final third. And instead we have this very frustrating loss because uh, Martinez ended up with a wide open header uh, from like five yards out in the 89th minute, you know, when you're playing three center backs, it should never happen. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, his comeback, I don't know. Um, because, and the, the assist he had was DC threw everyone forward. He just had to play the ball over the top and Martinez would do the rest for him. Um, yeah. There without the first goal, Joseph Martinez doesn't score right. the second one. Um, I think that weirdly, the, the, I, weirdly or not, the the play most people are talking about is Joseph Martinez's penalty miss. Yes, um, Russell Canales right. fouled, fouled him in the box. It was. Well, can we put that in not a? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was I not a hard a foul. foul. Um, because I, there, there was contact and Joseph yes. Martinez fell. Yes. Uh, um, was not a hit him in the lower back as Canales went in for a tackle. The tackle itself did not come with any. Um, contact for Martinez to fall and Martinez's balance is way too good for that little bump to knock him over. Um, yeah. He and uh, what's his name? Gonzalo Leandro Perez both have a way of anticipating contact, I will say. Um, and, and making sure their body is in a position to sure fall, which is totally legit. Like that's that fine, just, but no, it's not always a foul striker. when that happens. Yeah, any good striker knows how to do that, and it's important that you do it. Um, but if you're on the other side of it and it turns into a penalty against your team in a 0-0 game, um, it is awfully frustrating to see because you know that there wasn't really a foul there. You just made right. it look like there was. Um, and in classic MLS fashion, that contact elsewhere on the field was not a foul for, mo- right. for this entire game. And so to see it be called in the box is is salt in the wound i would call it yeah it, it's um, irritating there's a lot of irritating little things about this game yeah luckily you know i guess it doesn't matter in the end it comes out in the wash but uh ball didn't lie on this occasion and and instead it it went into orbit uh after joseph martinez's very distinctive run-up which involves a, a big jump right beforehand and he's never missed when he's done that until this weekend uh, I don't know if you saw it, Jason, on SBNation.com, uh, Graham Mackery and, and Zietz. Dude, I'm, they, I'm the uh, person that put the article into the site Slack. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't remember those things. Uh, but thank you for putting that there because it's a fantastic article about, you know, the, the oral history of, of that shot. And I, right. I commend everyone to go see it. Go read it because it's it's very good and very funny. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lucky break because um, I I think Martinez's penalty kick record was actually, um, I want to say it was 15 of 16 as he took that uh, penalty. And I think his one miss was a non-hop because he does like he does the hop like maybe 60 percent of the time. It's not it's not always present. Um, But yeah, uh, I for whatever reason, I guess because it was on a national nationally televised uh broadcast without a lot of other stuff going on there were you know non mls folks paying attention to this one for once um i had um one of my friends uh, ask me to explain what happened because he knows soccer and but doesn't really pay that much attention to mls and was like so what happened here how did this occur um what is this like what's going on so i had to explain the joseph martinez penalty technique and also that he had been making them um so, yeah, that was wild, I guess. I mean, sometimes it's your day. Uh, and if that moment made me think that it was going to be DC United's day. Um, but I guess the caveat is you can't make a giant defensive error. Um, to, ta- to accept that gift, you have to then continue defending well until the game is over. And DC let it down once, and they paid for it. Yeah, just a few minutes too early. Uh, and again, if they had... this. I, like I said, the second goal doesn't happen because that kind of space yeah, the, in behind doesn't the exist without the first goal. Yeah, the second goal almost was like not even worth thinking about. Like right, it's immaterial. Um, but because, in the vein, of, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm pretty much done. In the vein of goals change games, if Paul Ariola puts his chance away or or manages to tee up Rodriguez, uh, 
who knows what happens from there because DC United has a lead at that point. They're already defending and all of a sudden Atlanta feels like they have to throw more numbers forward and maybe DC United gets a chance to counter. But, uh, they probably would have had a few more breakaways. I don't know if they would have finished them on the day, but um, yeah, the, the window to play those passes would have happened more often. Yeah. And I Lucho agree. certainly Lucho was certainly hitting those passes. It wasn't this was like he was feeling it. Um as far as that through ball from that deep position to suddenly create a breakaway, it was on for him. He he was seeing them early and it was um that part of it was good. Um because, yeah. you know, coming off of his suspension, uh, you know, there's a reason to wonder, you know, how is his head, you know, is his focus here, the transfer window's going on, there's a lot of things that could theoretically throw you off, and he looked pretty good. I I thought he looked, he looked really good. I mean, he was, he, he did his characteristic thing that a lot of people, a lot of fans don't seem to like where when a play gets broken up or, or a run isn't made or the ball isn't quite right. He demonstrates for a second and then gets back to work instead of just putting his head down and, and going back. I don't mind it as much and because when it happens, he's generally already out of the play and Lucho Acosta doesn't have the speed to force himself back into the play. So if that's what he needs to do to keep his head straight is to let it out for a second and then go back to work. I'm, I'm fine with that. Emotions are a thing and I, I can, I can absolutely live with him doing that. If he's playing, if he's making the passes he was making uh, in, in this game. I think right now we do have to bring up uh, some reporting that's happened about Acosta and Ariola. There are there is well, interest. Are we are we moving on from the game entirely? Because there's, there's something we need. We kind of need to address that sort of functions of both games. Okay, um, go for it. And then we'll we'll get to the, the other fact game. that the fact that DC ran out of gas at the very end and had to start defending very deep instead of you know the game changed. They weren't they had been defending a little further forward for the most part, and they had to sag back and it was because they ran out of gas. Um, I am convinced that that last mistake is a tired player mistake. Oh yeah, Um, very much. And I'm also convinced that the reason they had to drop off so much was because they just didn't have the energy anymore to keep the game further up the field. Um, In between these games, the only player change Olsen made from Thursday to um, the weekend was Chris Seitz was sat for Bill Hamid and Acosta came back from suspension for Wayne Rooney. Everyone else held their position. So in this high intensity um, formation, two games on turf, short rest, both on the road, there's no rotation. Um, And I can't shake the thought that like you can beat Cincinnati 4-1 with Jalen Robinson getting one of those uh, defensive spots for the day. Um, you can probably get somebody in there. Um, Hara and Mora held up much better than I would have expected, but maybe in central midfield, they could have used some fresh legs. Um, Chris Durkin would have been uh, the option there. Um, Canals and Moreno both played the full 90 of both of these games. Um, you know, something, someone, need, I mean, resting Rooney, I think is something that could have been if he were subbed out a few minutes early from time to time. Maybe he doesn't have the buildup of stuff yeah. that ends up requiring him to completely miss a game. Um, maybe that need to the thigh that I mentioned earlier was a little more than we thought. It could just be a dead leg. It could be something more. Um, but in general, I think somewhere in here, you've got to find a fresh player or two um, there. The rotation needed to be present a little more in between these two games, um, even even with the understanding that by not rotating at Cincinnati, which is how I felt all along coming in, and, and I feel this was the right call even now, um, even if you have to rotate against Atlanta, against the harder opponent, if you have to mix in two or three more guys, then so be it. Um, but I, I think that was also on Olsen's side. I think that's a mistake. I think he's got to do something there. I also when he looks down the bench, I do wonder if the main thing he's thinking is like some of these guys are just not up to this right now. Um, and thus it's a situation where it, you know, yes, the coach makes this decision. So yeah, you've got to put some of it on him. 
You've also got to put it on Dave Casper in the front office because they're, you know, the bench doesn't have a lot of guys that are cut out necessarily for the, the difficulty mentally of playing the game that DC was trying to play at Atlanta. Um, and throwing guys into a game like that is tough too, because it, the game is happening at a certain speed and there's no way to replicate it when you go, when you jump in. So if you say, okay, Segura is going to come in for Hara at the hour mark. Well, it might take 10 minutes for Segura to catch up to the speed of play. And so that's why his sub happens later. And that's why it happens with um, him staying high up the field where his catching up to the speed of the game is less consequential. Um, and you have Areola dropping back at that point, which right. as we've discussed many times and you've written about uh, really hinders United's right. chances but, to create anything in the attack. Yeah. Um, but at the same time with the squad, the way it is, I kind of, I think I would do the same yeah. thing. If, if I was making that move, I would have made it the same way out of necessity. I would like for the coaching staff to not have the choice of, is this player up to the job? I want players. I want a few more players on the squad that are up to the job clearly. And I think we've let half the transfer window go without really much of anything. We're going to get to something that might be coming, but um, it, it's both, you know, I, I think um, for a set of the fan base that thinks everything is the coach's fault, they're not going to listen to this part. So that's fine. You can turn the <laughs> podcast off now, I guess. Um, turn it or skip ahead 10 minutes and then listen to our, our, um, our sponsor at the very least. Um, but yeah, for everyone else, I, I think it's kind of a clear thing where the team needs reinforcements, but also people have been talking about it all year. Olsen has been subbing players into games very late and eventually this adds up. Um, it doesn't work quite like in a video game. It, it's just the wear and tear eventually pays or eventually shows. And, I think DC, the last 10 minutes of this game, it really became clear that this was a tired group of players. Yeah, I think when it comes to the transfer window uh, being, you know, I I guess we're, it's the 23rd as we're recording. So yeah, we're, we're two weeks into the, the transfer window that ends August 7th, I want to say. So we're just about halfway through and, Olsen was talking about one or two guys and seemed to hint that they would be announced right at the beginning. Obviously some things either hit a snag or he was, he was over not promising, but uh, indicating something that wasn't quite maybe a little optimistic. Yeah, that's a good word for it. So I would have preferred to see someone in already. We now know there are two guys in camp who haven't signed They're They're both free agents. One of them is former U S national team midfielder Jose Francisco Torres, uh, who's in spent his entire career on the club level in Mexico to date. Um, the other is Gordon wild Maryland grad who, uh, or Maryland product. I don't know if he graduated. Um, he may have, I don't know. Uh, Maryland product who, uh, was drafted by Atlanta and recently, uh, waived. So he's also a free agent. They're both in camp. Gordon wild is a, a target forward. So the, he's not a conventional target forward because he's not that big of a guy. Um, right. he, he is they're listing MLS soccer is listing him at five ten, which is false. Um, <laughs> well, Gordon Wilde is like five, seven, five, eight. Um, oh, wow. but he's, he's an extraordinarily athletic guy. Um, Steve Goff wrote a really good story while he was at Maryland, um, about how his parents were traveling acrobats, um, wow. in a circus, uh, in Europe. And, um, that, you know, it, it turns out, I guess, uh, if acrobats have children, they might also turn out to be extraordinarily athletic. Um, and that's Gordon. Wild. I don't, I, I'm not sure that's how genetics work. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't studied it in depth. This is not, this is not, a uh, the science of genetics podcast. Um, <laughs> this is a, we don't know what we're talking about when it comes to genetics podcast. <laughs> I, I question the science of genetics. I, I, I don't actually, when, <laughs> when I'm going to stop, this joke is not working. I'm just going to bail and, and move well, on. Um, I, I, I think we'll wait to break down 
Gringo Torres and Gordon Wild more in if they are signed and start seeing game time. Uh, the I, the bigger story more immediately for me is the reported interest from abroad in Paul Ariola and Lucho Acosta. Um, Acosta reportedly has a, an offer on the table to buy him from United. It's a club in Saudi Arabia. I think the big club uh, in Saudi Arabia, Al Adi or something like that. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm trying to go on memory, which is never a good idea. Don't do what I just did. Um, I think it was Pablo Maurer reported it was three million, possibly as high as five million, depending on performance bonuses and and whatnot. Would be the fee. That's obviously less than than what Paris Saint Germain were reported to have offered last year, which was less than their initial offer may have been. We're not going to relitigate that whole thing though. The the question comes whether that's enough for United to let him go and whether Lucho wants to go to Saudi Arabia because Probably they would not. be able to Yeah, they, they'd <laughs> be able to pay him, but he uh would not be in the kind of league that could get him into the Argentina national team, which is one of his goals and playing in a high level league uh in Europe especially is one of his goals. That is not what Saudi Arabia has right. or represents. So it would not be a stepping stone, it would be not even a lateral move. In there would my, be a payday. The, yeah. it, this is why Giovinco uh, ended up in that part of the world as well, is that um, except Lucho is significantly younger than Giovinco. Um, right. But it's, it's like, I'm not going to get attention from other levels. This money, the money that they've put on the table is worth me letting that attention go. Um, but Lucho at this point in his career doesn't want to do that yet. So uh, he still has the dream. So he might, uh, there's been reported interest from Sevilla, if not an offer at this point. So it's not a bad club to go to either. Uh, no, that's, that's a significantly better club yes. uh, to choose, but also most likely the money coming to DC would be significantly less right. uh, because Sevilla could just wait for him to become a free. So they could say, look, we really want to sign you. And once you're on a free, we will sign you. Um, they could start writing up there. I mean, we're still in the range where they could sign him on a pre-contract any day now. So, right. Uh, DC United has again, Pablo Maurer reported DC United has put down something like two and a half million dollars a year for four years uh, as their offer. So it's up to Lucho at this point, whatever he wants to do, he will do. And we're waiting on that. Uh, I think the more, Surprising development is the the interest in Paul Areola. If you remember when he signed with DC United, he said he wanted to be here where he could be a, a core part of the team, knowing that it's a, a visible stage. And getting Wayne Rooney later made it all the more visible for him to you know be in the shop window at all times, essentially. Uh, reported interest from Europe and Mexico. I think I saw somewhere that the interest in Mexico is more serious. It would take a big offer probably for United to let him go. I don't know if there is a release clause in his contract where if an offer above a certain threshold is made, DC United is required to accept it. Uh, I don't know whether that exists in his contract or not, but um, we know that he has ambitions elsewhere as well. Um, and if he can be a central piece on a Liga MX East team or, or move to Europe and try to make it over there, we know that's something that Paul Ariola would be interested in. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from here because you lose those two guys and those are, those are two of the three most important players on DC United's attack this year. So that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, um, the Areola in- interest, um, it would have to move very quickly uh, for something to happen. Um, and the downside of that is that if it did happen very quickly, which we saw with PSG and Lucho this winter, things can happen that fast. Um, if that were to happen, DC would not be replacing him. Almost like less than 1% chance of getting a replacement in this window. It would be um, replace him in the winter and deal without him uh, down the stretch, which we've already talked about, uh, that's bad. Um, DC right. it would have to be, be in deep trouble, uh, if they, if that happened for this season, DC, 2019 season anyway. Yeah. I don't know what Casper's thoughts or plans or, or what he has in motion are at this point, but I think for United to exist 
at the level of Wayne Rooney, Lucho Costa, Paul Ariola, they're Casper's going to have to have even more irons in the fire at all times so that when the time comes that you have to make a quick move because somebody's come in with a an offer you just you have to take for one of your players you can then do what PSG nearly did for Lucho and swoop in and take a guy off another team um because you're throwing money at them and you know obviously the idea is that DC United like the Per best case scenario is that DC United's too big of a club to turn down. It's not going to happen for at least a little while, but yeah. you want to be in the position where you can be waving around giant sacks of money that are very attractive to the teams you want to buy players from and that players want to come play for you. So I don't know if Casper has, you know, several clubs on speed dial with players that he wants to buy should the opportunity arise and the need arise, but he needs to, that's where he needs to be. Yeah. And, and if we're being honest, like it should already be happening. Yeah. Um, this transfer window so far has been, it, nothing's happened and there's not even um, with all due respect to Torres and, and wild. Um, those guys aren't going to take this team to an, another level. They're going to fill in the rest of the roster. Um, Torres, especially with his, his experience and his technical ability, um, will add something that isn't really in the roster, but he's not going to displace any of the starters. Um, so, yeah, uh, unless they've got something that's completely under wraps and they're just going to ambush us with uh, big news, um, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch because the transfer window is – we're running very short on time, and we don't even have so much as, like – that many strong rumors of anyone coming in. So, right. Um, and we've, we've had situations before where it's been very quiet and then everything comes down on deadline day. United has been a player on deadline day the last, sure. or, or at least, you know, for the, for a couple of years, um, like the, the Stieber Ariola deadline day still like I was at oh, the yeah. DMV that day, just like on my phone. Um, so maybe, maybe I, I'm surprised thinking about, the fact that I was at the DMV then that things didn't go crazy on Saturday when I was at the auto dealership. That's when it should have happened clearly, but come deadline day, which is later than I would like it to be. I would have liked a lot of this to be sorted at the beginning, but it's not always in your team's control, right? There, there's another side to every negotiation. So hopefully things start moving, more players start coming in, whatever happens with players going out. We are running long and we are late to bring on our guests, so we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Please stick around. You're listening to Filibuster. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean... Well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I want to apologize to our listeners for an oversight Jason and I made in the last segment. Um, We referred to the referee 
during the DC United FC Cincinnati game uh, by his given name, Baldomero Toledo. It is our policy on this podcast to refer to him uh, on the first reference, if not exclusively by his, his more proper and accepted name, Baldomero Tomato. And yes. I, we regret the error. Moving on. Well, why did it happen again? <laughs> do, we we'll do our best. We have to own up to our mistakes. See, it, you're here, Bridget, to help keep us accountable. Uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that oversight is what we need, what we mm-hmm. crave, really. Uh, yeah. Moving ahead, DC United will conclude their three-game road trip Saturday in the village of Bridgeview, Illinois, where they'll face the Chicago Fire. Winners of one game in since mid-May. Uh, our good friend Bridget Gordon from Hot Time in Old Town is here to help us preview the game. Bridget, thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I'm having a Coke Zero, uh, which is leftover from our trip to Chipotle. I, I'm always wondering what the next Coke product is going to be. I don't drink sweet beverages anymore, so I'm a little out of the loop. But I'm always curious what the next... I know they reformulated Coke Zero at some point. Yeah, I guess it's okay. I mean, pretty much like... I'm diabetic, so I have to mind my my sugar and carb intake. And so, you know, when if you're somewhere where all they have are Coke products, uh, it's like the safe option. So it's whatever. <laughs> Fair enough. So I mentioned that Chicago had one win uh, in the last few months, uh, but that win was a five to one win over Atlanta United, having just played and lost. Uh, against Atlanta and United. I, my question for you is how? <laughs> um, I can only guess that Atlanta were under some kind of terrible curse because otherwise the game really doesn't make sense. I don't know how we did it. We clearly haven't managed to like do it again or in any way build on that momentum. Uh, we're currently losing 2-0 the goal as we're recording this. Um, and I don't know, man. Everything was bad. Well, you guys do have a trump card when it comes to playing DC United. And, and really, the, the only question I, I should be asking you is, how the hell do you stop CJ Sapong? Because DC United has tried for years and has failed every time to stop CJ Sapong. Even when he played for Philadelphia and didn't score, he was the dominant force in the game. And he doesn't seem to do it against many other teams, but he always does it against DC United. So how do we, is there a way to make that not happen? Um, I mean, assuming that his powers aren't magic, which they might be. Um, I Maybe think he put a curse thing, on Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the key thing would be for DC to, uh, block off his service, which is what teams have been doing in the fire all season. So basically you want to focus on the wings. You want to go after Alexander Katai and Shivaslav Frankowski um, and prevent them from getting, from getting good passes and service into the box. Um, that will basically leave CJ Tong stranded. And while he can make some stuff happen on his own, it's, tougher for him so i'm not saying that that's that's foolproof but i mean that's probably your best bet looking back over the the last few games um chicago on short rest did something you know dc united changed not their formation but their approach um chicago changed their formation on short rest pretty recently they played a three five two um it didn't get a good result. Do you, do you think it was at least something that could be built on? I don't, I mean, potentially. So the problem, the problem with the fire is the same problem they've had all season, which is that they don't have fullbacks. Um, their, their, their fullbacks are Jorge Corrales, who is not good at soccer. They have Jeremiah Goodyear, who I think is, has a lot of talent and a lot of potential and will eventually be good. But, Youth and talent, Chicago is where youth and talent go to die. So they clearly don't believe in him, uh, and it shows. Uh, and then you've got Brent Bronico, who is a central midfielder who's being like thrown in at fullback, uh, occasionally. So pretty much like they don't actually have 
like actual like fullbacks right now. So they're trying to get around it by playing central defenders, uh, sometimes four on one line, but feeling that they've had to go three at the back with Marcelo and Kabelhoff and increasingly Bastian Schweinsteiger as a center back, which is not working, but this team doesn't learn from their mistakes, so whatever. Um, and then they just try to attack the midfield. And it doesn't work, but they do it anyway. So. Um, I guess, you know, we've talked about Sapong. Um, one thing that's been very curious to me is that, um, Nemanja Nikolic just hasn't been able to get anything going this year after, you know, his past, he had the golden boot and he had another season where he was, you know, not golden boot level, but he, he reminds me a bit of like Luciano Emilio's trajectory where he had a golden boot and then another season where he scored a, a good deal of goals and it was, it wasn't great, but it was good enough. Um, yeah. This year though, there just, there hasn't really been much of anything for him. Um, what's happening? How has this happened? Um, so there's a few, there's a few theories. Um, Cause you're right. Like in theory, he's one of the better strike, maybe not always like golden boot caliber, but he's one of the better, like, you know, number nines in MLS. Um, but he's not doing it this year. And there's a few theories. Uh, one of them is that, like, he's just getting older and, you know, his his, his skills are kind of falling off a cliff. Uh, he did have a kid at the very beginning of the season and took some time off. And when he came back, he wasn't quite up to form. Uh, and everyone thought that that was, like, temp- temporary and he's his mojo back after a few weeks, but then that never happened. So I don't, so that's possible. He's just got like other stuff going on in his life with the new kid that is kind of taking his focus away. Um, it's possible that he's burnt out on Chicago and is ready to move on because there are all these rumors that he's leaving at the end of the season. And I mean, frankly, you know. <laughs> half the locker room is already checked out. So it's possible that Nigo is just basically, you know, kind of done with this team and is just kind of collecting a paycheck until his contract is up at the end of the year. I kind of think it's that one more than anything else. I think like he, like a lot of people in that locker room have just kind of stopped caring and they're just kind of going through the rest of the season until it's all over. So, so how how secure is Panovich's job at this point? If that's the situation uh, in the locker pretty room, secure. pretty secure. <laughs> as, as Nelson as Nelson Rodriguez and and Andrew Hellman have demonstrated, there's literally nothing Panovich can do to lose his job. Um, there were all these rumors like last month that he had to win both of the upcoming next two games, and he didn't, and then nothing happened. That's the thing. Like this team keeps underperforming and embarrassing itself. And there are no consequences for anybody. Now for the head coach, now for the players, now for anyone in the front office, there's, there is no accountability. And so it doesn't matter what happens with the results anymore. It literally does not matter. Every game between now and the end of the regular season and finish, you know, bottom of the Eastern conference. And it won't matter. Ponovich like may or may not be back next year, but he's not losing. He's not getting fired before the end of the year. Um, and if he does leave, it's going to be more like, you know, terminated by mutual consent sort of thing. Like, it's, he's not going to get fired. Like, he may be asked to move on at the end of the thing, but it's not, like, there's no accountability. Like, there's just none. Like, nothing is, it doesn't matter how bad things get, nothing is going, nothing is going to happen to power of it. This is just what we are now. And it sucks. That does suck. Uh, uh, on a personal level, on a selfish level, I hope DC United takes advantage of that. But uh, I also hope Chicago figures out how to be a successful organization. I'm not sure what they're doing tonight is, is going to be a part of that. You mentioned they are playing Cruz Azul in, in the league's cup, the, the all important (laughs) uh, prestigious tournaments. It's an important competition. (laughs) The yeah the the totally real competition that is the sequel to the Superliga. Uh, what, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> what, 
what is happening in that game? You mentioned Chicago's losing. I, I saw before this segment that they they started a reserve heavy lineup, but subbed in some of their their real starters like Bastian Schweinsteiger in yeah. this super important game that they're losing. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's like I'd only been kind of half paying attention on Twitter because I was out doing some other stuff this evening. But pretty much it was it's the same thing as always. Like they start off playing like decent and thinking maybe they could put something together and then they don't capitalize on it and then they give up a goal and then they quit. And then later they just pretend like the, the coach and the front office pretends that everything is fine. Um, and that's what's going to happen in this game. We're going to lose the Cruz and we're going to go out of this stupid, like, fake tournament, and, you know, then we're just going to focus on D.C., and then we're going to lose to D.C., and we're going to move on to the next one, and nothing matters anymore. <laughs> Eat at Arby's. Eat at Arby's, yes. Um, when I, I, I've been looking at the, the last few Chicago lineups, I've noticed that... Um, Fabian Herbers has been popping up as a central midfielder. Um, we're used to seeing him play when he was with the Union um, as a, a fairly dangerous winger uh, as far as uh, going to goal. Um, what is what is Pano looking for from Herbers there? Is it is it working at all? Uh, I I don't know what Ponovich is looking for with Herbers. I've kind of given up trying to figure out why he does anything. Uh, but no, it's not working. Okay. Um, he has he has shown moments of like doing okay on the pitch, but I mean that's just because like he's a not bad player. So like I think like you know he, like he's making it he's making it work as well as he's able to, but it's it like objectively it's not great. But also, Pulisic is finally the central midfielder now, and that's just kind of where it's at and it's not really work it's not working to the extent that like it's the best use of resources but that's where we're at um i i've seen the reports um i think uh paul tenorio and sam steschel from the athletic um were reporting that effectively the fire have put everyone up for sale um more or less i, I don't know if they're too much of a um, willingness to move um, Bastian Schweinsteiger on, but um, when you hear something like that, who, who are the players that you're looking at and you say this is someone that they can't trade, e- even knowing that you know the organization has made a lot of mistakes lately? Who's who are the players that Fire fans and, and you specifically want to keep around for next year? Well, for me, the big one was Lou Adams, and we just signed to Atlanta for funny money. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, um, I mean, most of the ones that I would keep are kids. Jordy Mahaljic, uh, who's been doing good stuff with the national team lately. Brant Bronico. Um, Drinkowski, I think, could come good. Um, I, I think, like, he's kind of struggling with everyone. But I think, like, give him some time and space. So he could become, like, a good contributor. And honestly, we'll need him when Alexander Katai moves on at the end of the season. Um... I mean, Dax is a good locker room guy. Um, I don't know how long he'll be able to contribute on the pitch, but I like having him like at the club. And so I hope he stays around for at least one more season, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does bail out. Um, Johan Kabelhoff, I think he's like our one competent defender right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, yeah, that's all I got. CJ Sapong. But that's about it. I I shouted out Bridgeview, Illinois, at the the top of the the segment. This will be the last year for the Chicago Fire playing games uh, on the regular in Bridgeview. Um, it's been widely reported, and I think since confirmed, possibly accidentally, that they are going to be playing their games next year at soldier field in Chicago proper back where they, they started in the late nineties. What is the, the outlook for the club 
moving forward as far as their their stadium situation are you looking forward to to soldier field and how long do you think they'll be there before they are able to to build a a right size facility for them um so i think i think like you know the soldier building is kind of divisive around the foundation. This is sort of like a non, this has been an ongoing argument among Chicago fire fans about like, about, about Bruce about the stadium there. And it's pretty split between like people who really want, want, who've always wanted the team to come back to the city and others who are like, well, this is Bridgeview's fine or like we need to accommodate suburban fans. I've, I've always kind of fallen under move back to the city thing and so to that extent I'm actually pretty okay with Soldier Field. I don't necessarily trust like what the front office are why the front office are doing this and they combine with their rumored like rebranding of the club. I think I just don't really trust them to do this right and I don't trust them to have like good motivations for this so that makes me kind of worry about the whole thing um and so to that extent i actually don't know how long it's going to take them to get another soccer specific stadium inside chicago city limits i know they've been talking about building on the side of the old michael reese hospital in Bronzeville, um and i think that'd be a good location but like, cause they got, cause they got to deal with a new mayor who's like very reform minded. And so like moving anything past, past like city hall is going to be difficult for at least a year or so. And then like, I don't really trust like this owner and this front office to actually do stuff competently. So, I mean, that's only based no, on your experience be, like, though. What's up? That that lack of trust is only based on uh, years of experience. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there are reasons why like fire fans are always angry at, at the team, um, and or the club, I should say. Um, so I mean, I don't know. It could be three to five years. It could be never. I think honestly, I think a lot of it's going to depend on how involved MLS is. If if Don Garber takes like an active role in this, if the league front office really kind of pushes this through and makes it happen, then I think it'll move along at a decent pace. If the league just kind of lets Andrew Hoffman figure it out and make it work, uh, it's just going to languish forever and we're going to be in soldier field forever. Um, I really, I really can't say right now. Yeah, our listeners will, I, I'm sure many of them will remember uh, DC United's long-running stadium search before they got Audi Field built, where where Don Garber would, he, he basically stayed in the background and would just come in with statements from time to time that, you know, maybe we have to move this team if they can't get the stadium situation figured out. And that was his only contribution uh, as far as anyone yeah. knew. And, you know, maybe he helped facilitate a search for new owners that were better connected, that were able to get the stadium done in, in Jason Levy and in particular. But um, yeah, it, I, I, I certainly hope you guys get that sorted and, and are right. able to get a foundation down. Cause I, I have more friends who are, ex Chicago fire fans than, than probably any other MLS team. And part of that's that I'm from the Midwest and you know, the diaspora happens and you lose roots, but I, I know lots of people who've left their hometown and stayed connected to even MLS teams from three hours away. And that hasn't happened with Chicago fire. People move on and change loyalties in a way that, that doesn't happen with a lot of other teams. And I think that's down to the organization and they need to do better for you guys. Yeah. Or, you know, they become Red Cross fans, which is kind of where, you know, I've been at the past few years. Yeah, when it's an obligation, that's that's not a good place to be for a sport sporting organization. <laughs> yeah. um, earlier in the segment, you mentioned how DC United could try to shut down Chicago's attack. If you were advising Ben Olsen on this game, what would you tell him about how to attack Chicago? Um, honestly, I would say just wait a bounce because 
the fire have been really good about creating chances, but they can't finish like for, to save their lives. So just stay defensively solid, let them throw themselves at you. Uh, and they'll create chances. They'll create some threats. They may even get a goal out of them, but they're going to run out of ideas pretty quickly. And then late in the first half or beginning of the second half, then you start moving in. Um, and they just, you just overwhelm them. You overwhelm them in numbers, you overwhelm them in pressure, and they'll fold pretty easily. So you just, you really just got to wait them out. Um, and you don't have to wait that long. Like, second half, maybe end of the first half, they'll start getting tired, they'll run out of ideas, and then you can move ahead. So I, that would be my, my advice, is just patience. Wait the fire out because they don't actually have a lot under the hood. All right. We'll see if DC United can manage that on Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Watch it on Flow Sports if you're in the immediate DC area, ESPN Plus. If you are further afield, Bridget Gordon, thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you guys for having me. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Sure. Um, so I'm the managing editor for Hot Time in Old Town. That's hottimeinoldtown.com. You can find me on Twitter at Thaumatropia, T-H-A-U-M-A-T-R-O-P-I-A. Um, and yeah. Oh, also, I'm the I'm a, I'm a digital editor for Hot Web Magazine. I'm also a W editor for Over 11, which is SBNation's new women's soccer site. And so you can find my work all over. All right. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, you are welcome and encouraged to do that, of course, at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. I promise you we do read every single one, even if we forget to mention them on air or to reply. We are... Um, We are frail humans in that regard. Download, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly just spread the word around. Tell a friend about the show when you are at whatever watch party on Saturday night. That's the best way to get the word out. And we really appreciate it when you talk us up to your friends. For Jason Anderson and the absent Ben Bromley and thanking Bridget Gordon one more time. I'm Adam Taylor, and we will talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Google Bart Harvey Jarvis.